Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. Welcome once again to Canadians in Old Time Radio. I really want to welcome you to this episode because this happens to be the 80th episode. I don't usually say anything about uh, where we are along the way, but I feel pretty good about the fact that we've found enough Canadian and especially made in Canada material to uh, fill out the uh, Made in Canada segment of of Canadians and old-time radio. And uh, so here's to 80 more episodes and to finding more Made in Canada stuff. There's lots of stuff for the Canadians Abroad segment, which I'm very happy about, too. Anyway, I'm uh, Devin Wilkins, president and founder of COTRA, the Canadian Old-Time Radio Alliance, and you can uh, check out what's on the website at www.cotra.ca. Well, this time we're going to do a, a double Canadians Abroad segment, because the last time we devoted uh, the whole uh, episode to Made in Canada material. So this time we're going to start out with a comedy, I guess you could call it, movie from uh, Screen Director's Playhouse. Uh, and it features Jack Carson who was a uh, comedian from Carmen, Manitoba. This movie is called Alibi Ike, and it is a, a baseball movie, and that's all I'll say about it. Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild Players. The Lady Esther Screen Guild play tonight, Alibi Ike. The starring players, Jack Carson. This is Joan Loring. And this is Alan Hale. Tonight, with a baseball season in full swing, Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild players in Warner Brothers' rollicking story of the big leagues, Alibi Ike. Batteries for the night are Jack Carson as Francis X. Farrell, Alan Hale as Cap, and Joan Loring as Dolly. 
the Lady Esther Screen Guild players now coming up to bat in Alibi Ike. You know, they say that a baseball player is half man and half alibi. But the only one I ever met who batted a thousand in the alibi league was a lad named Francis X. Farrell, a pitcher. The guy they used to call Alibi Ike. You see, I'm managing the Cubs that year, and I need a good pitcher. I need him bad. And this Farrell is coming up for a tryout, with a big build-up, too. But the day we start our training season, all I get is a telegram from him that says... Will not arrive until tomorrow. Sorry I'm late, but my calendar was slow. Well, he arrives the next day, all right, driving an old Maxwell that looked as though it had been pickled in kerosene. He drives right onto the field, no less. In fact, he almost runs me down. So I get pretty mad, and I shout, Hey! The devil do you think you're doing? Oh, I'm sorry, mister. I, I was going to blow my horn, but my brakes squealed so loud you wouldn't have heard it anyway. Get out of here before I murder you. Hey, you don't realize who I am. Sure I do. You're Babe Ruth. But you got your face lifted to fool the pitchers. Look, this is a ball club and you're on the field. Now beat it. Oh, wait a minute. Ain't this the Cubs? Go on. Get going. Yeah, but I'm on the team. My name is Farrell. You want me to call the... the Farrell? Did you say Farrell? Sure. Francis X. Farrell. What's the X stand for? X marks the spot between my first and second name. <laughs> well, why didn't you report at the clubhouse and give your name? Well, I was afraid if I, if I let on who I was, all the help would quit work and come out to watch me. <laughs> you know, I'm a pretty good pitcher. I'll decide that. Say, Mac, get back at the plate and let's see what he's got. Sure, what he ain't got. Here's a ball, Farrell. Toss a few in there. Yeah, well, you know, I, I don't feel so good today. I, I must have ate something for breakfast. Go on and pitch. Yeah, okay. Hey, he's got a pretty good wind-up, Cap. Well, it ain't how they start, it's how they... Wow, did he throw that ball or shoot it? Well, I don't know. I didn't even see it. Hey, slow down, Farrell. I'm going to use these hands all season. Sure thing, Mac. I wouldn't want to hurt you none. Holy Toledo. He calls that slowing up. I've seen rockets go slower than that. Hey, Farrell. Yeah? Hey, how many games did you win last year? Well, I, I won 28. But I had malaria most of the season. <laughs> then along about August, I got my finger caught in the peanut machine. <laughs> you only won 28 games, huh? How many did you pitch? <laughs> 28. <laughs> oh, look, you better quit for a while. I'm going to see you hit a few. Well, gee, I ain't even hardly warm yet. I could keep pitching like this all day. Sure, I know. I'm just trying to save the catcher. Hey, Carrie, dish him up, will you? Oh, sure, Cap. One hit some, Farrell. Okay, but I'll warn you, I never hit my best on Wednesdays. Okay. We'll cancel all our Wednesday games. Just show me how you hit on the 4th of July when it comes in leap year. You ready, Farrell? No, but throw it anyway. After all, all I got to do is hit it. Now take it easy, Farrell. Don't try too hard. Just... Look at it. Go, Or, uh... Were you saying something, Cap? Tell me, Farrell. Is there anything else you can do but pitch strikeout ball and hit home runs? Oh, yeah, Cap. A fellow showed me a card trick the other day. Wait till I get the deck out. Here. Take a card. I'll take your ears off. Get into that clubhouse and wait for me. Oh, I mean it, Beth. 
If Farrell keeps on like he's been going in training, we'll cut the pennant and a walk away. Then maybe you can relax and try being my husband for a while. Well, he's the best rookie pitcher I've ever seen. And he... Oh, can he hit in the field? I just don't get that alibi stuff. You mean he's still at it, Cap? Still at it? Well, that guy can't breathe without he alibis. He pitches us a two-hit game. He alibis. He hits a double and brings in the winning run. He alibis. Good or bad, he alibis. He just can't help it. Well, I know one thing he won't make any excuses for. What's that? My sister, Dolly. Dolly? <laughs> oh, darling, you're a wonderful baseball manager. But when it comes to love, you're as blind as an umpire. They've seen each other every night for three weeks. Yeah, but Dolly's going home tomorrow. <laughs> oh, Gab, you're so silly. That's what I'm counting on. It was sweet of you, Francis. I mean, bringing me to the train and all. Oh, that's all right, Dolly. I was coming over this way anyhow. <laughs> Got to buy me a shirt. But the good shops are all on the other side of town. Yeah, uh, well, this is more of a corduroy shirt, you see. It's what I wear when I do my road work. It's been a wonderful three weeks, Francis. Yeah. I, I wish I weren't going home. Me too. I wish... I wish this train would never leave. I, Francis, I, you mean... Yeah, but... There it is. I guess it's going all right. <laughs> Maybe you better get on, huh? Maybe I'd better. Gee, what's the matter? The way you sound... Well, aren't you going to... Francis, don't you want to... Don't I want to what? <laughs> oh, Francis, I... I... There. That's what I mean. Goodbye, Francis. Write to me. She kissed me. Dolly! Dolly, wait! Wait! Hold the train! Gee, Dolly, thanks! Sure, all right. You bet. So long, I'll... Uh, uh, hey, whoa, boy. Gee, I'm sorry, mister. I, I, well, I seen I, you, son. I seen you. You were saying goodbye to that pretty gal. Oh, me? No, I was just racing the train a little. Good way to get exercise, you know. Yeah, I know. Well, folks, the big league season is a month old today, and it looks as though a rookie pitcher is going to be the star of the year. It's a little early to make predictions, but if Farrell keeps pitching the brand of ball he's shown the fans so far this season, I'm tabbing the Cubs to steal the pennant. Remember, though, I said if. If Farrell can keep the pace he set. Oh, boy, don't he get tired of hanging around his hotel lobby. Philadelphia on a Sunday night. What's that remind you of, Terry? Uh, it's hard to say, Mac. Something like holding hands with your grandmother. I like to hold hands with my grandmother. She's a good pal. Well, some people like Philadelphia, but not on Sunday night. Uh, don't seem to bother Farrell none. The alibi Ike? <laughs> he can find an excuse for anything. <laughs> he don't even know where he is these days. <laughs> like he's living somewhere up in the clouds. <laughs> some letters he gets from Dolly, huh? Yeah. Hey, he's over there at the writing desk now. Hey, come on, let's have some fun. Okay, let's go over, huh? Hello, Ike. Ah, hello, Mac. Hi, Carrie. Oh, pretty good, Farrell. Uh, what you reading? This? Oh, it's just kind of a letter. Uh, a bill? No, not exactly a bill. It's a, it's a letter from a, a fellow I used to go to school with. Well, I thought you told us you never went to school. Yeah, well, this ain't exactly a school. It's more of a college. 
How could you have went to college if you didn't go to school? Yeah, well, I didn't. It was the other fellow that went to college. I would have went, but there wasn't no good college where I lived. <laughs> no? I thought you said you lived in Chicago. Yeah, well, we did for a while. But then after that, we, uh, we moved. Yeah? Where to? Uh, uh, Nebraska. Well, they got colleges in Nebraska, ain't they? Yeah, well, we didn't live right in Nebraska. <laughs> was sort of near there. Oh, I uh, see you've been writing a letter, too, uh, answering this pal of yours, huh? No, not exactly answering. I'm just writing to tell him I got his letter. Oh. <laughs> uh, you've been getting one of them letters every day. What's your friend write you so much about? Uh, what? Uh, he's telling me about a ball player, friend of ours. He, he tells me what he does every day. Uh, where does this friend of yours play? He, uh, he pitches out in the Coast League for Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> Syracuse? Uh, you mean Syracuse, California, or Syracuse, Utah? Uh, uh, well, it's out there in the fruit country. Everybody knows that. Oh, sure. Say, from the size of that letter you got, they don't play nothing but double headers out there. Yeah, well, they got it because the season's so short. <laughs> On account of the cold weather. In California? Yeah, well, they say the weather's a little unusual this year. What, again? Sure, they, they say the palm tree crop was short this season. You see, with, with no palm trees, they got nothing to break the wind with. Hey, uh... That letter's got a lot of crosses on it. Uh, what do they stand for? Kisses? Kisses? Oh, no. They're the, 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 the strikeouts this guy got in the game. Yeah, but there's 150 of them crosses. You mean the guy got that many strikeouts in one game? Well, uh, uh -huh. it, it was, it was a, a long, long game. game. Yeah. Come on in. I'm in the shower. Bellboy sure got a telegram for you. Here, give it to me. Oh, no, no, he'll get wet. Read it to me. Read oh, okay, sir. Says, um... Arriving tomorrow, and the answer is yes. Signed, Dolly. Yoo-hoo! Boy, you sure excited yelling like that, Mr. Farrell. Good news, huh? Uh, what do you mean, good news? I, I just turned on the cold water. <laughs> Leave the telegram on the table, and I'll see you downstairs, boy. Okay, Mr. Farrell. Couldn't resist the temptation of coming up and shaking hands with the best pitcher I've ever seen. Huh? 
Oh, thanks. Wait till I turn off the shower. Yeah, thanks. I maybe I had the best picture in the league, but I have won a lot of games. Could have won more if some of those umpires would remember to bring their seeing-eye dogs to the game with them. <laughs> sure, sure. Think nothing of it, my boy. You're on your way to big money. Oh, you think the club might give me a bonus? Well, uh, well you, you don't think so, huh? Well, suppose they don't. There are other ways of making big money. Oh, sure, but baseball's the only way I know. I could show you another way. Uh, uh, how do you mean? Well, you're pitching Tuesday. Just suppose you lost. That could mean a lot of dough to you. Hey, what's the idea? You're suggesting that I might toss this game? Listen, mister, you better get out of here. I, uh... Hey, what's that you got in your hand? Haven't you ever seen a gun before? Yeah, but never muzzle to muzzle like this one. <laughs> Makes me feel awfully shy. Well, that's just the way to be. Now, here's the play. You lose the next three games and you win 12,000. You win any of them games and you lose your... Well, do I have to go into detail, Farrell? No, I get you. It's my detail. Exactly, my... Farrell. <laughs> Good night. I guess you fellas know that Dolly's back. Oh, yeah. We've seen her having dinner with Alibi Ike. <laughs> you see what she's got on her third finger? Uh, sure did, Jeb. Believe me, that ain't no hangnail either. <laughs> <laughs> now we'll have to think up a new alibi. How to explain I'm his brother-in-law. Hey, there he is across the lobby. But what's he all dressed up like that for? Well, he's waiting for Dolly. He's going to take her to a show. Why don't you boys go over and congratulate him? That's a good idea. Come on, Mag. Yeah. Hello, Ike. Oh, hiya, fellas. All dressed up, huh? Where are you going? Uh, going to the theater, I, I guess. By yourself? No, no, a friend of mine's going with me. Uh, fella. Uh, what do you say we go along? Oh, I'm sorry, I, I ain't got only the two tickets. Well, we can get some more seats. No, no, they're all sold out. The, the scalper will have some. Hey, uh, yeah, but you wouldn't want them. The show is rock. Oh, well, what are you going to do with your girl? Leave her here at the hotel? Girl? What girl? The girl you was eating supper with. Oh, her. Oh, gosh, she just happened to sit out on my table, that's all. Now, look, Carol, I got a bet with Mac, and it's up to you to set it. I bet him that you and Dolly was engaged. Mm, no, not exactly engaged. Oh, listen, cut the alibis and give it to us straight. Cap just told us she was rope. Well, I sure wouldn't want it to cost you no money, Jerry. You win. Oh, oh, you're a lucky guy. I Dolly's a pink. Oh, she's okay, I guess. You guess? Well, who done the asking? Her? No, not exactly her. But you take a good-looking girl, and a man generally almost always does what she wants. Well, there couldn't no girl that's on me without I wanted to be last Oh, I don't know. When a fellow gets to feeling sorry for him, it's all off. It most certainly is. Oh, Dolly, I... I, I was looking for you. I couldn't help but hear what you said. Listen, Dolly, I, I didn't... know that you were just sorry for me, Francis. But you're right about one thing. It is all off. But, Dolly, wait. I didn't mean it. Dolly, you've got to believe me. I just didn't mean it. <laughs> The second act of the Lady Esther Screengill play will follow in a moment. Now, a word from Lady Esther. 
Have you ever sat in a close, stuffy room, feeling warm and uncomfortable? Suddenly someone opens a door and a cool, fresh breeze blows across your face. Isn't it a wonderful feeling? Well, women tell me that changing the Lady Esther face powder is the same sort of refreshing experience. They say Lady Esther face powder feels so cool and clean on your face, light as a summer breeze. Yet it clings four hours or longer, hiding little lines and blemishes. Clings without choking or clogging the pore openings. A lovely, elusive film of beauty on your skin. A film of protection, too. Protection against the dirt and dust in the air. It's the way Lady Esther face powder is made that produces this light clinging texture. It's not just mixed. It's completely pulverized by the force and speed of hurricanes. Try this amazing powder in bridal paint, the new shade that's so daringly romantic. This one shade of Lady Esther face powder has been designed to flatter four basic skin types. So whether your hair is blonde, brown, auburn, or brunette, you'll find that Lady Esther bridal paint instantly makes you look more vibrant and alive, more dynamic. It not only gives a rich new tone to your skin, it actually gives subtle new highlights of beauty to your hair and your eyes. If your dealer is sold out of bridal paint, ask him to order it for you. But accept no other powder, no other shade, for remember, only Lady Esther bridal paint can give you that ethereal, fascinating look of a woman in love. Now, the second act of Alibi Ike, starring Joan Loring, Alan Hale, and Jack Parson. Well, we're near the end of the season now, and we got us a clean shot at the pennant. I'm counting on Farrell to win three games, but he loses the first and kicks his next chance away. And he looks so bad out there on the mound that Johnson, the big boss, is getting pretty mad. Carol, let's talk to you. Well, I don't want to talk to you. Now, take it easy, son. Don't you feel well? Yeah, sure, I feel fine. Just, just get out of here and let me alone, will you? Just a little, Carol. I yeah. Feel... Yeah, come in. Thank you, Mr. Farrell. I'm Farrell, I'll tell you. Oh, yes, sir. Oh, thank you, sir. What you got there, Farrell? Something from home? No, nah, I don't have no coat. I guess it's just that... Hey. Holy smoke, it's money. $6,000 bill. It's a note. I'll take that. All right. There's one more game. You get the bell. What about it, Carol? Mr. Johnson, I didn't know nothing about this. I... Gosh. They must have thought I was losing them games on purpose. Who? Who thought? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know his name. Carol, of all the rotten, crooked tricks. Say, you don't think I threw those games? Oh, no. This is just a coincidence. Just a minute. I wouldn't throw a game if my mother was on the other side. You pack your things and get out. And if you ever get into a baseball suit again, I'll put stripes on it for you. Come along, Kevin. Well, don't you see, Francis, Mr. Johnson is going to give you another chance. Cap and I argued with him all afternoon. We both believe in you, and we, we know what's been wrong. We know you've been worrying about Dolly, and that's why you lost those games. But honestly, Francis, there's no reason to worry. Bess, you really think she still cares? Oh, I know she does. That's why she went home. And her letters have been simply frantic. Well, gee, if, if you think... That... I don't think. I know. 
But even then, you're still in a mess. You've got to help Mr. Johnson trap that crook. Well, gee, I will, but what about Dolly? If I tell her how much you depend on her, she'll be here tomorrow. And you think she'll forgive me? I'm sure she will. If you'll promise to give up those alibis. Promise? Gee, I'd get right down on my knees. I mean, if my lumbago wasn't so bad. Gee, Dolly, you don't know what it means to me to have you back. Yes, I do. I know what it means to me. Yeah, now all we got to do is catch that crook. His name is Crawford. Uh Uh-huh. I told him to bring me that money right before tonight's game. And the cops will pick him up and that'll be the end of all our trouble. I'm sure it will, Francis. Just so I never hear another alibi as long as I live. I I promise, Dolly. On the level. Good. Now, you sure you can win the game tonight? Win it? (laughs) They couldn't get a hit off of me if I was pitching basketballs. I wouldn't have lost the last one, only I was in sort of... Francis? A... Yeah, I didn't mean that for an alibi, Dolly. I mean, I was just trying to tell you how much I... Well, how much I've been thinking about you. Ain't your name Farrell? Ain't you the pitcher on the Cubs? That's right, son. <laughs> sort of recognize me, eh? Oh, gee, Mr. Farrell, I heard something awful about you. No fool? What'd you hear, kid? Well, I was selling some papers in a saloon, and I heard some men saying you was going to throw the game away tonight. Oh, gee, I got my bicycle bet in that game, and Mr. Farrell, if so you lose... Slow, slow down, kid, slow down. I'll tell you the truth, but you got to keep it quiet. I'm going to win that game tonight by a shutout. Francis, it's getting late. You'll have to hurry. I'm coming, Dolly. So long, kid. Oh, so long, Mr. Farrell, and thanks. Hey, Mr. Crawford. Over here, Gibby. Get anything? What'd he say? He's giving the double cross, Mr. Crawford. He said he's going to shut him out. Yeah? That's what he thinks. I think he might be taking a ride. I don't think I have to tell you guys to try for this one. You all know that if we take it, we cinch the pennant. Now get out there and let's see a lot of pepper. The battery is Farrell and Mac. Farrell ain't showed up yet, Cap. He, he ain't showed up. And it looks bad, boss. He ain't even sent no alibi. What a baseball game. Over 30,000 fans out here tonight, and every last one of them on the edge of his seat. The score all tied up in the ninth. The Cubs just coming up the bat. One run right now, and they've won the pennant. Incidentally, I can't understand why they haven't used Farrell. I haven't even seen him tonight. Oh, wait a minute. Something's up. <laughs> Bella just came through the outfield gate. He's heading straight for the Cubs' dugout. Hold it, folks. Hold everything. That fellow's a streak blows, but he runs like... It could be. It is. It's Farrell. <laughs> It's the truth, Cap. I was kidnapped. I thought I was going to miss the game. I, I got so scared of his gun, I, I just sort of grabbed it, and then I got so frightened, I, I just kind of smacked him over the head with it. Of course, I could have just knocked him out with my fist, but I had to save my hand to pitch this game. Now, hold it, Farrell. Yeah, but, Cap, I, I... If we wait here till you get through alibi, and they're going to call this game on account of mourning. You think you can hit one if I send you in? Let me at him. Just let me at him. Well, wait a minute. You can't play in them clothes. I'm going to give him a pair of shoes. Oh, okay, okay. I guess I'll need some spikes to dig in. But if I wasn't so tired by what I've been through, I bet I could hit that pitcher barefoot. This is the mighty tense moment, folks. Farrell's just come in the game, taking his turn at bat. He might not have to pitch tonight, not if the Cubs can score a run. All right, he's at the plate. The pitcher's taking his wind-up. Here it comes! And there it goes! It's a long, long one! It's going by the center field features... The outfielder's there. He reaches up. He can't get it. It's in the stands for the home run. Farrell hits the home run, folks. The game is over. And the count of one actually set up.
quiet, quiet. Wedding's nearly over. Yeah, I just figured what Pharaoh's middle initial X stands for. What? X for excuses. So, by virtue of the authority invested in me, I now pronounce you man and wife. Gosh. <laughs> and now a nice big kiss. Yeah. Huh? Go on, Ike. Go on, the kiss. Huh? The kiss. Go on, the kiss. Gee, well, do I have to? Good. Well, okay, Dolly, if you say so. Not me, sir. Kiss the bride. <laughs> oh, oh. Sure, I, I knew all the time. I was just playing for a laugh. To Francis think. Farrell, you promised... Yeah, yeah I know, Dolly, I, and I'll promise again. So help me, I'll never kiss another minister in my whole life. <laughs> Thank you, Alan Hale, Jack Carson, and Joan Loring for a delightful and entertaining half hour. Well, Mr. Bradley, we know that these half hours contribute so much to the Motion Picture Relief Fund and its country house, both largely supported by this radio program. And I'm speaking for all of us when I say that we're only too happy to share in that work. And while we're on the subject of sharing, how about sharing a few of your dollars so some fighting boy can have a fair share of life? Buy that extra bond today. And now, before we tell you about next week's show, here's a word from one of America's best-known beauty authorities, Lady Esther. Thank you, Miss Loring. Ladies, do you know the greatest menace to makeup? Well, I'll tell you. It's those dry, clinging flakes on the surface of your skin, those stubborn flakes nature is constantly trying to throw off. Here's how you can erase all those dry, dead particles. Erase them gently and completely, and as easily as smoothing your hand over your face. Just rub Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream well into your skin. Wipe it off completely. Then rub your fingertips over your face. Gone are the roughness and dryness. Gone are the ragged, clinging flakes. Loosened, absorbed, and completely removed by Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream. Your skin has a new silken feel to it. A petal-like smoothness on which powder and makeup look so clear and fresh, so youthful. Lady Esther Face Cream gives your skin a complete beauty treatment every time you use it. First, it thoroughly cleans your skin. Second, it softens your skin, absorbs the dry flakes. Third, it helps nature refine the pores. And fourth, it leaves a smooth, perfect base for powder. If you want to amaze your family and friends by a sudden, delightful change in your appearance, try this. First, apply Lady Esther face cream. Wipe it off completely. And then apply Lady Esther Bridal Pink, the romantic new powder shade that gives you the radiant, fascinating look of a woman in love. Lady Esther Screen Guild players will present New Wine. It will star Paul Henreid and Elona Massey. Be sure to listen. Jack Carson appeared through the courtesy of Campbell Soups and can now be seen in Roughly Speaking. Joan Loring can now be seen in The Corn is Green. Alan Hale can now be seen in God is My Co-Pilot. 
all Warner Brothers productions. Alibi Ike was presented through the courtesy of Warner Brothers, producers of Conflict. Music on tonight's program was arranged and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. You save enough on the largest size jar of Lady Esther face cream to buy a box of Lady Esther face powder. So remember, ask for the largest size. This is Truman Bradley speaking for Lady Esther. Thank you and good night. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was Alibi Ike from June 18th of 1945. Still staying with that same year, but moving on to November 6th, we now have an episode of the Alan Young Show, and it's called Alan Wills $5. Alan Young, you remember, was with CBC and then uh, decided that if they couldn't give him any more money, he was going to the States to make his money, and so he left Toronto, and, well, the rest is history. So this is the Alan Young Show from November 6, 1945, and Alan Wills, $5. Here we go again, you bet you. Yes, here we go again. It's Alan Young, very deep in trouble. And as usual, we gotta dig him out. Listen to that young man who tries to be helpful and always needs help himself, Alan Young. Betty, did you enjoy that movie tonight? Oh, yes. Cary Grant is so romantic. Alan, I wonder if you could kiss like he does. Go ahead, kiss me. Oh, I don't want to. Oh, go ahead, kiss me. It, it isn't anything. No, I don't want to. Go on, it isn't anything. Well, okay. There. You're right, it isn't anything. <laughs> well, that gives you an idea of what happens to Alan in tonight's story, which you'll hear in just a moment.
Well, it is late evening, and Alan has just returned from the movies with his girl, Betty Ditton Pfeffer. As we look in on them now, they're in the Ditton Pfeffer parlor, and the only light in the room is the soft glow from the blazing logs and the open fireplace. Alan, isn't it heavenly here? Yeah. Uh, the logs blazing, me sitting here knitting, you standing in front of the fire, smoking. Smoking? <laughs> I must be standing too close to the fire. Alan, hmm? come and sit down beside me on this bearskin rug. All right. Uh... <laughs> Alan, I... I just noticed. Why does this bearskin have such a stupid expression on his face? He must have been stupid. He wouldn't be lying here in front of the fireplace. <laughs> Gee, Alan, I keep thinking about that movie we saw tonight. Hmm. Wasn't Cary Grant wonderful? Remember that scene where he took his girl to that fancy French nightclub? Yeah, boy, was he sophisticated. When the beautiful foreign spy dropped her olive to attract his attention, he didn't just kick it under the table. He bent down, picked up the olive, handed it to her. She said, merci beaucoup, which means don't bother to wipe it off. Don't you take me to a nightclub sometimes? You know, a girl likes dancing. Why don't you tell me you like dancing? Well, last night when I took you to that fancy restaurant, they had music. We could have put down our trays and danced. <laughs> I mean a real nightclub, Alan. I can't afford it, Betty. I haven't built up my sign painting business yet. Nightclub costs so much money. There's hat check charges, cover charges, tips for the waiters, a la carte meals... Why, an evening there can run into two or three dollars. Oh, Alan, Cary Grant didn't worry about money in the picture. He was so wonderful. Wonderful. Betty, if you want to look closely, you'll see that I'm a perfect double for Cary Grant. <laughs> he's, got such, he's got such nice dark hair. I got blonde hair. He's six feet two. I'm five foot ten. He weighs 190. I weigh 130. <laughs> then how does that make you and Carrie perfect doubles? It's easy. Take away his physique and his good looks, and what do you got? <laughs> Me. <laughs> Why, Alan, I think you're jealous. Jealous? Who's jealous? <laughs> Carrie Grant. I spent 80 cents for movies, 10 cents for caramels. What does she talk about? Cary Grant. From now on, Betty sees nothing but Lassie pictures. <laughs> I'm as good-looking as Lassie any day. You know? Oh, hello, Betty. Hello, Alan. Hello, Father. Say, what's going on here? Why are you two sitting so far apart? Ask Alan. Alan, why are you two sitting so far apart? Ask Cary Grant. <laughs> Took her to see one of his movies, and that's all she talks about. Alan, I know just how it is. I had the same trouble when I was courting Mrs. Dittenpfeffer. You did? Yes. Why, to this very day, we don't mention the name of William S. Hart around here. <laughs> Daddy, did you and Hubert Updike have a nice time at the lodge meeting? Yes. I taught Hubert how to play poker. Won $14 from him. He'll be right in. I left him outside parking the car. That's all I need to make my evening complete. Another one of your boyfriends... Cary Grant, that rich Hubert Updike. Hello, Betty. I'm here. I'm here. 
Come gather me in your arms. <laughs> oh, cheerio, Alan. I understand you took Betty to see a picture with Corey Grunt. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was a double feature. I also saw Walter Pugin. Corey <laughs> Grunt. You know, Hubert, it just occurred to me. You could almost double for Cary Grant. Face me. Hmm. Your nose is a slight obstacle. What do you think, Papa? <laughs> well, your chin is a slight obstacle. Uh, turn around. Now we come to a big obstacle. <laughs> Hubert, have you ever thought of going into the movies? Oh, indeed, indeed. I was offered a part in a very big picture. Oh, which one was that? Uh, that new one. Our vines have tender avocados. <laughs> oh, that was a witty one. Hubert, uh, these two have had a little quarrel. Uh, suppose we leave them alone while you and I <laughs> play some more poker. Oh, goody, I love that game. It's so expensive. <laughs> well, let's go into the study, my pocket-sized national bank. All right, and, and do explain to me why I paid a $5 fine for just getting those four aces. <laughs> Well, you see, Hubert, it's very simple. It's just... Well, Betty, I, I guess I'll be going home. I have a big day tomorrow at my sign shop, and besides, I imagine you want to be alone with your memories of a certain movie actor. I think it's silly of you to be jealous of Cary Grant because, well... Well, you see, Cary is the kind of a man a girl dreams of getting. You're the kind she gets. <laughs> that, that does it. You'll be sorry, Betty. I'm, I'm leaving you now. Just wait till they're dragging the river for my body. They won't be able to find it. Why? I'll be at the Paramount. <laughs> can't kid me this way. I'll show her who's boss. I won't forgive her till I come crawling back to her on my hands and knees. <laughs> While Alan broods over Cary Grant, let's listen to the four chicks and chucks sing that feeling in the moonlight. Did you ever get that feeling in the moonlight? That wonderful feeling that you want to be king? You're strolling in the park, the stars so bright above. You love to love somebody, but there's nobody there to love. Did you ever get that longing on a June night? That wonderful longing you can never resist. Did you ever get that feeling in the moonlight? That feeling that says you want to be king. Did you ever get that feeling in the moonlight? Why, sure. Sit down, kid. Calling in the park, the sky's so bright above. You 
love to love somebody, baby. But there's nobody there to love. Did you ever get that longing on a June night? That wonderful longing you can never resist. Did you ever get that feeling in the moonlight? That feeling that always starts me reeling. Every time you say you want to be king. Well, Alan has taken his quarrel with Betty pretty hard. It's the next day, and instead of working in a sign shop, he's across the street at Minnie's Meatball Palace, <laughs> eating his heart out. Well, blue eyes, do you feel any better now you got some... <laughs> you feel any better now you got some grub in you? No, Minnie, I, I could hardly eat a thing. How much do I owe you? Let me see. Clam chowder, hamburger steak, double order French fries, four meatballs, two cups of coffee, a slice of pie. That'll be 25 cents. Well, here you are. Thanks. Gee, you sure look down in the dumps. What's eating you, blue eyes? Minnie, if you had to choose between a man like me and Cary Grant, who would you choose? I'd pick a man like you. You would? Sure. When you're used to meatballs, you can't digest caviar. <laughs> oh, you've been fighting with your girl, hey? Yeah. She's been comparing me to Cary Grant. So what? You stack up all right against Cary Grant. Hmm? You got a lot of his features. Only on you, they don't look so good. <laughs> hey, why worry about Betty? Why don't you get yourself another girl? I can't get another girl. Are you kidding? Statistics prove there are seven women to every man. And some guy's walking around with 14 women. <laughs> <laughs> look, let me set you straight on love, Blue Eyes. Hmm. I know plenty on the subject. I'm married to a sailor. <laughs> of course, I ain't seen him in the last 27 years You haven't seen your husband in 27 years? No, he's been in the Navy all that time I think he ought to be out soon I figure he's got 975 points You don't think that, uh, well, maybe, maybe he's left you Oh, no, he hasn't left me He accepts my checks every week <laughs> Yeah, I got a letter from him only this morning. He's living with some friends in Paris. I think their names is, um, uh, Folies Fagere. <laughs> Sounds like a fine old French family. Yeah. <laughs> but you were going to straighten me out on love. Oh, me. yeah. Oh, look, Blue Eyes. All we girls want is a little courtesy. Nightclubs, mink coats, a <laughs> Occasionally a cottage of orchards. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't give Betty those things. I haven't even got $5 to take her to a nightclub. My, my luck has run out, Minnie. Look, Blue Eyes, you can't tell about luck. Mm. I was only reading in the paper this morning about some guy who bet on a horse named Jackpot... And won $5,000. Uh, that always happens to the other guy. I never won a thing in my life. I couldn't even win on, on this pinball machine here. Why don't you try it? You'll try it. I'll be right back. One of my regular customers just come in. He eats nothing but meatballs and spaghetti. Hey, Chef. 
Send out two yo-yos with plenty of string. Uh, this is a pinball machine, huh? Yeah, I'll put in a nickel here. Hmm. Ten thousand, thirty thousand, sixty thousand, three hundred thousand, six hundred fifty thousand, nine hundred sixty thousand. Looks like I'm gonna hit a million. But... I think I won. Hey, hey, Minnie. Yeah? I won on the pinball machine. Did the red lights and the blue lights flash? Yeah. And did the flag come up and start waving? Yeah. Did the machine spray confetti and ticker tape? Yeah. You won. Here's your nickel. (laughs) (laughs) You see, Blue Eyes, you see, your luck has started to change already. All I get is my nickel, man? Oh, oh, a nickel, huh? Oh, I forgot to tell you. There's also a grand prize of five dollars what you get. Gee, thanks. I guess my luck is changing. Sure it is. Here's your dough. Run over and see your girl. Take her out and show her the time of her life. Good luck, kid. So long, Minnie, and thanks a lot. He's a nice boy. All he really won was a nickel, but I threw in the five bucks. And, Minnie, you're getting soft. Well, maybe it'll help him get back his girl. Gee, I'm feeling sentimental. Maybe I'll sit down here and write a letter to my husband. My darling Sam, why don't you come home, you good-for-nothing bum? (laughs) Betty, will you answer that phone? I'm reading the paper. Hi, Daddy. Hello? Alan? You want to see me right away? But I have a date with Hubert tonight. What's that you say about Hubert? Will you say it again? There's a funny noise on the wire. Oh, that noise is what you're saying about Hubert. (laughs) Alan, what are you excited about? You hit the jackpot in one five. Well, if it's important, you can come over for a few minutes. Goodbye. Daddy, that was Alan. Who cares? Listen to this in the papers. What local young man won $5,000 on jackpot in the third race? Well, well. Jackpot? Five? Gee, Daddy, that's what Alan just called about. He said he hit the jackpot and won five. What do you know about that? Alan Young winning $5,000 on a horse. I should have known he was a gambler by that blank expression on his face. I always thought it was plain stupidity. Daddy, Alan is not a gambler. If he has a blank expression on his face, I'm sure it's just plain stupidity. (laughs) I'm, I'm sure that he... Come in. Why, hello, Alan. Hello, Patty. Hello, Mr. Dittenpepper. Oh, come right in, Alan, my boy. Won't you pull up a racing form and sit down? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I heard you had a little luck today. Yeah, jackpot, you know. <laughs> I, uh, I have my eye on Golden Girl in the third race tomorrow. I'm afraid of a wet track. Do you think she's a good mudder? I didn't even know she was married. <laughs> married? <laughs> oh, you gamblers. <laughs> well, Betty, how about you and me going out tonight to celebrate? 
I'll show you I can do everything Cary Grant can do. Oh, wonderful. Look, we better hurry if we're going to do the town. Oh, uh, all right. Daddy, when Hubert comes, will you tell him I'm sorry I had to break his date? You better tell him yourself. Here he comes now. Oh, Batty, I'm here, I'm here. Come let us dance away the night. <laughs> I'm awfully sorry, Hubert, but I can't go out with you tonight. Oh, but you must, you must, you must. <laughs> Hubert, Betty is going out with me tonight. Oh, Batty, please change your mind. I have two seats for us at the opera. Come with me, Betty, and you'll hear Martinelli from the mezzanine. Come with me, Betty, you'll hear Juke from the box. <laughs> Batty, if you go with him to a nightclub, he'll embarrass you. <laughs> Why, he doesn't know the first thing about table manners. Oh, I don't, huh? Why, when they give him two forks, he won't know what to do with them. It just happens that I understand perfectly what to do. One fork is to eat with, and the other is to attract the attention of the waiter when he leans over the next table. <laughs> Hubert, you're wasting our time. I'm going with Alan, and that's final. But, Betty, I was planning to take you to the Club 30. That's the most exclusive place in town. Ah, uh, if I can take her to the Club 30, after all, how much can it cost? Last time I was there, my check was $85. Ah. Uh... Ah? <laughs> uh... $85 is nothing to Alan tonight. He just came into a lot of money, didn't you, Alan? Ah. <laughs> well, Alan, let's go. This is one night I'm not going to worry about prices. I'm going to order the best of everything, as long as you're there to pay the bill. <laughs> I've always wanted to go to the Club 30. They say it's so modern. Indirect lighting, revolving stages, and... Well, I understand they even have an automatic dishwashing machine in the kitchen. I hope so. I sure hope so. Well, Alan's not going to feel so well when his five spot does a quick fadeaway at the nightclub. But he'll soon discover that money isn't everything. Dance, Alan. I've always dreamed of you and I at the Club 30, dancing to the exotic music of Pedro Van Steeden and his Cuban cucaracha. <laughs> oh, you danced the rumba beautifully, Alan. Uh, I've been doing the rumba ever since I was a kid. How'd you ever learn? My bicycle had a loose seat. <laughs> well, here's our table, Betty. Alan, we've been here over an hour, and I'm getting pretty hungry. Me too. We should have brought some lunch. <laughs> the food here must be the best. Don't you just love the smell of good food? Yeah. As soon as the music starts, we'll dance by the kitchen and take a deep breath. <laughs> oh, Alan, you're such a tease. Pretending that you don't want to order and all the time sitting there with a pocket full of money. Guess I should call the waiter. They have a French staff, you know. Oh, that's all right. I'll address them in French. <laughs> Oh, Garkin, Garkin. <laughs> John Darm. Bonsoir, mademoiselle. Bonsoir, monsieur. Enchanté de vous voir. Je vais vous donner une belle table près de l'orchestre, n'est-ce pas? Oh, Cresta Blanca, Cresta Blanca. <laughs> oh, monsieur, monsieur would uh, care for wine, yes? Hmm. 
Well, for $12 a bottle, we have wine from La Belle France. And then for $20 a bottle, we have champagne from La Belle France. Oh, haven't you got any coca from La Belle Cola? <laughs> Coca-Cola, monsieur, is $5 the bottle. But that, that's outrageous! Oh, monsieur is only joking about our prices, no? Whoever comes here can afford to spend. Our minimum charge is $50. But, but I have only $5. Five dollars? But I thought you won $5,000. Oh, but I only won $5. What am I going to do? Oh, monsieur, I have great sympathy for you. Huh? As long as you would not have to touch the food, I do not charge you anything. Well, I got to confess, I did drink that bowl of soup there. Bowl of soup? Yeah. I don't mind telling you, it tasted like water. But, monsieur, you drank the finger bowl. <laughs> How was I to know? There weren't any fingers in it. <laughs> oh, monsieur, you're such a funny man. Mm -hmm. But uh, you may sit and enjoy the show for nothing. But if you order any food, it is $50. Oh, thank you very much. Murky, murky. <laughs> he certainly got you out of a scrape, Alan. Yeah, we're all right now, eh? <laughs> this is still my lucky day. Alan, look who's coming. Who is coming? It's Daddy. He's headed for this table. Oh, it's your Daddy. Gee, if he orders food, it'll cost me $50. Well, Dad's been a little worried about his weight lately. If you hint diplomatically that he might be putting on a few pounds, he probably won't order anything. Oh, okay. Here he comes now. Mm. Don't forget, Alan, be very diplomatic about his weight. Well, hello there, Betty. Hello, Daddy. Hello, Alan. Hello, Fatso. <laughs> I uh, just thought I'd drop in and join you two lovers. Ah, I see you haven't ordered yet. That's good. I'm hungry. Uh, waiter, I want the biggest steak you've got. That would be $112. I'm not worried about the price tonight. Get me the steak. Oh. Alan, don't worry. Daddy always picks up the check. He, he does? Oh, sure. Oh, then what am I worried about? <laughs> Mr. Never have a, have a bottle of champagne, hey? Oh, thanks. I will. You know, Alan, the funniest thing happened to me tonight. Yeah. <laughs> this will kill you. It will? <laughs> that Hubert Updike can't play a lick of poker, but tonight... <laughs> <laughs> Tonight, Hubert cleaned me out and I haven't got a red cent in my pocket. <laughs> Alan, why aren't you laughing? I think it killed him. <laughs> Alan, what's the matter? Miss, uh... <laughs> Daddy, what am I going to do? Hi, oh, everybody. May I join this happy party? Hubert, look, go away, will you? I have enough trouble here. But all I want to do is buy a round of drinks. After all, I have $4,000 in my pocket. <laughs> $4,000? Sit down, kid. <laughs> Hubert, Mr. Dittenberry just ordered a big steak. Would you sort of keep him company while he eats it? Oh, I'd be glad to. That's the way I like to hear you talk. Uh, Betty, let's get out of here while I still have my five dollars. Enjoy yourselves, fellas. Alan, I'm hungry. Don't worry, Betty. I know just the place. How do you like this food, Betty? Oh, I've never tasted anything more delicious in my life. <laughs> would you uh, Would you care to have some more? <laughs> I certainly would. Okay. Hey, Minnie, make that two more yo-yos. There's plenty of string on them. Coming up, Blue Eyes. Thanks, Minnie.
Shepard, reminding you that we'll be back again next Tuesday at the same time with Minerva Pius, the Four Chicks and Chuck, Jim Backus, Gene Gillespie, Ed Begley, Peter Van Steeden and his orchestra, and our star, that young man who is young today and young forever, Alan Young. This is the Armed Forces Radio Service. That'll do it for this time. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you'll be with me for the next 80 episodes of Canadians and Old Time Radio. Okay, well, at least the next one. Enjoy your day. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking.